0: So they'll go through a period where they're trying to consciously eat less, then they start to run into trouble and they really struggle to you know, perform in training or recover from training. And then, as I said, they bounce to that other extreme. So they then go and go, oh, well, I actually really needed those carbs. I realized now that that's important for training. So I'm gonna put those back in. And all of a sudden they're not then meeting the body composition goals they had for themselves. And, and so they're getting frustrated because of that.
1: Hello and welcome to the Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Steph Gaskell.
0: And I'm Alan McCubbin.
1: We are both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. We are also both researchers in sports nutrition at Monash University, and we love translating the often complex science of sports nutrition into simple and practical strategies. Each week, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists, and triathletes ask. So it's the stuff you talk about uh, after training that um, you're not too sure about, and you might ask your peers. And so what we're wanting to do is go one step further and help answer those questions for you by, um, you know, sports dietitians in the area or um, experts that are researching that particular topic. We're going to break it down and invite a guest expert um, or athlete to add their perspective. So, Happy New Year, Alan. How are you going?
0: Yeah, thank you, Steph. Happy New Year to you too. Yeah, pretty good. Summer holidays, can't complain. been doing a little bit of teaching over summer which I got broke into the last minute so that's uh, (laughs) a little bit less holiday vibe but that's okay Um, but yeah no other than that trying to do a little bit a little bit less try and take a bit more time with the family so that's been good and just trying to relax a little bit more and Mm. Steph for you last time we spoke to you you were just hopefully going to finish your data collection for the PhD no more lab work did it happen
1: it did happen. Woohoo! It happened. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Very exciting, as you know, how that feels. Oh,
0: yeah. Yep, <laughs> definitely. So now you're just stuck in front of a computer all day.
1: Stuck in front of a computer. Yeah. Working out uh, how to analyze the data present the data make a story of uh everything um which is really really exciting um but yeah you know it can sometimes get a bit overwhelming but uh yeah it's 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 good to be in this position
0: yeah yeah yeah. i think sometimes we sort of go oh stuck in front of the computer but then you know you do your your data analysis and you get some really Mm -hmm. interesting results and you've got a really interesting story to tell so uh, i think it Mm -hmm. makes it all worthwhile definitely And Um, you managed your trip over to to Adelaide?
1: Did, I did, yes. Got to see some uh, beautiful Adelaideans, so that was nice.
0: Back amongst (laughs) your people, Steph.
1: (laughs) Back amongst my people. Uh, Went to some common um, running grounds and where I used to uh, train and um, actually saw Adam Didick's um, Team Tempo group training down there. Um, so I thankfully was finishing off my session so they didn't see how slow I was going.
0: <laughs> <laughs> didn't rope you in to join them.
1: Didn't. No way. I was, like, jumping in the car and out of there. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. It's been um, bloody hot, though, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. We started off with a cold, wet summer and ended up with a hot, humid one.
1: Hot, humid. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... um you haven't really I reckon had holidays as such right because you've kind of had the kids um at home for a very long time now
0: yep yep a <laughs> couple more weeks hanging in there a couple more weeks
1: <laughs> that smile is like yeah. a, oh
0: <laughs> yes no got the first one vaccinated last week the second one's getting vaccinated mm. in a couple of days time
1: mm. um
0: so yeah hopefully back at school and Business as yeah. usual, touch wood.
1: Yeah, yeah. In about two yeah. or three
0: weeks' time from now.
1: Mm, fingers crossed.
0: Exactly right.
1: Yeah, and um, so today's episode is Alan. I'll let you do the um, intro.
0: Yeah, episode twenty nine A today. Um, so new, new episode, new topic, uh, and our question is: uh, I think you'd probably agree with me, Steph. One of the most common questions I get asked. In sports nutrition working with runners cyclists and triathletes and that is how do i balance eating for training quality but also for weight or body fat loss at the same time so you have so many people who are um, you know training for your know, marathon iron whatever it is um and they sort of say well you know i can eat to fuel my training really well but i can't change my body composition which i'll want to do um, or I can eat a bit less and change the body composition but then my training suffers because I'm underfueling my training how can I meet these two seemingly conflicting goals at the same time so that's what we're going to answer today
1: mm, and um, the guest ex- expert for this one Alan
0: uh, well that's both of us Steph <laughs> Although is... I'm
1: going to direct it more at you, so I'm going to be a- uh, okay. asking the questions.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is one that, that we very commonly face, I think, as, as I mentioned before. So, um, yeah, we'll just talk through, I guess, how we would approach this situation um, and some of the little tips and tricks you can use, but also some of the potential caveats and, and things where um, it might be able to go wrong as well that we need to be aware of.
1: Yep, yeah. And uh, social media um, shout-outs and and questions. So on Instagram we had Kate, is it Glace?
0: Yes, yeah. So Kate was our guest actually on episode 12A of the podcast. She's a 24-hour mountain biker, um, has finished on the podium at the World Championships for that, and she was talking about preparing for ultra-distance events. So um, obviously this is our first episode back after a few weeks' break So there hasn't been a lot going on on social media, but um, Mm. we did post just before Christmas the list of our top five most downloaded episodes of 2021. Uh, And in addition to that, gave a bit of a a teaser of some of the the topics or questions that we're looking to cover this year. Uh, And so Kate wrote back to us and said there were some ripper topics in that list and she can't wait to to hear them, which is great.
1: Yeah, awesome, awesome. And then we had... um, Ryan uh, Shand, um, who's um, given us some feedback before, which is great, and he's a coach in Western Australia. Um, and he also commented that those questions are exciting and he can't wait to tune in. Uh, thanks, team, for the great content.
0: Mm, thank you, Ryan.
1: And um, Twitter?
0: Yeah, we um, had you know similar post on Twitter about the top five most downloaded episodes of 2021. And number four, was um, episode 9A, Do I Really Need to Carb Load? with Jose Areta. And uh, he wrote back when he saw that, said, very pleased to join the Hall of Fame. Um, <laughs> thank you for organising the podcast, Alan, Steph. Hope you guys are well Have and have many great plans for the new year ahead We certainly do. So thank you, Jose.
1: Mm, yeah, thank you.
0: And then, as usual, Steph, you're, you're a, a person of the community. You get out <laughs> and about. And uh, when you get out about, people approach you you uh, you had some feedback about the podcast through through the real world not the virtual world again yeah
1: they they approached me or i approached them alan oh best stalking <laughs> involved watch out watch out uh yeah so we had um our um our neighbor michelle uh she's been sort of mentioning how she'd been interested in getting into into running and i Uh, let her know about Kate's coaching with Deneen. And so anyway, so she went to Kate's session and um, then Kate's like, oh, I think you need some new shoes, Um, recommend going to, you know, the running company Clifton Hill. Anyway, Michelle rocks up to the running company and uh, the lovely Chris Derry, who works there and is a podiatrist, um, has been you know really promoting our podcast out um Kate's been telling me like a lot of customers that that come in and Chris talks to she always overhears um him talking about the long much so there you go. Um, yeah so that's really lovely so he told Michelle about that and then I ran into Michelle the other day and um yeah and she mentioned she'd been listening and and really enjoying them so um so that's very lovely. So thank you, Chris, and um, yeah, love that you're um, enjoying the the podcast.
0: Yeah, who needs internet marketing when you've got good old no. fashioned word of mouth in the real world?
1: Mm-hmm. That's what we. Ooh. That's all we need. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Apple Podcasts, Al?
0: Yeah, so obviously you know the podcast available on on most of the major podcasting platforms, be it um, you know Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Um, Podbean as well, uh, but Apple Podcasts obviously is where people can do ratings and reviews. We've had several new five-star ratings over the the time we've been off on the break, so that's um, great, and thank you for those people. Obviously, they're anonymous, so we don't know who they are, uh, but we did have one new review from 1M McFly, and um, Back to the Future reference, Steph, you're you're looking a bit confused there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, no, Marty said, great podcast, very informative, priceless information from two professionals and their superstar guests. So thank you so much, Marty. Yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, and a reminder, obviously, if you want to get in contact with us for for any reason uh, or you just want to follow along and and stay up to date with what's what's happening and and when episodes are released, you can follow us on social media at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram as well.
1: Mm, Yep. And Al, um, I just thought uh, that we might mention um, that uh, we did listen to that feedback that our listeners gave us um, about the podcast. And one thing that we will be adding um, this year is um, just to the social media is um, like, yeah, potentially, yeah, so some infographics And so, um, and some more sort of like stories through Instagram and threads through Twitter.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, uh, the Twitter ones will be more text based, um, more of a story, I guess, and um, almost like a micro blog post, I guess. And then Mm. the the ones on Instagram obviously be a bit more visual. um, But yeah, sort of giving some quick little summaries of, of the episodes as they get released.
1: Yeah, yep, cool. Um, So today's episode 29A, how do I balance eating for training quality and weight loss? Um, We just wanted to, um, I guess, just highlight that uh, uh, eating disorders sort of trigger warning for some people. So we appreciate that when we're talking on topics surrounding weight and and body image, it it can trigger um, emotions and and behaviours for individuals with Past or present eating disorders, um, and so you know, viewing thin, attractive, and unrealistic images can um, make people sick. Um, so, if you or anyone you know needs help in this area, there are a number of helplines that you can contact in Australia. This includes the Butterfly Foundation on one 334673 and Headspace on 1800. Six five zero eight nine zero. There are many others in both Australia and overseas. So ultimately, if you're concerned that the content in this podcast might be triggering for you, it may be best to stop listening to this week's episode. And we'll be back with other content unrelated to body weight or dieting in a couple of weeks' time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're talking about strategies around weight loss now, um, and. Yeah, that can be an issue for some people. And we'll talk a little bit more about that shortly in terms of when it may or may not be appropriate or um, uh, a reasonable strategy to do so. And obviously, we've had other podcasts, which we'll reference shortly as well, which have sort of delved into that topic of, you know, should I, should I even attempt to lose weight in the first place?
1: So we're talking about a hot topic here, Al, one that can confuse a lot of people, and can come with a lot of debate in the area um, in terms of how to best achieve these outcomes with nutrition. As we've talked about in previous podcast content, there are many reasons why athletes may want to reduce their body fat, including improving the power to weight ratio, endurance, speed, etc. Reducing body fat may have beneficial effects on exercise performance, depending on the context. But how to achieve it can be bloody confusing. And there's so much content out there in the area of weight loss with numerous individuals claiming to be experts. Um, Unfortunately, there's potential for athletes to get it wrong. And often we can look for quick fixes or seek out help from individuals that are not qualified. And this um, can then get us into strife, not only in terms of negatively impacting on our training quality but also potentially in terms of our body composition and goals um, and um, for some may even lead to a disordered way of eating. And um, just recently actually, our um, you probably have seen it as well, there was a um, personal trainer based in Adelaide uh, that was um, disqualified um, for providing, you know, nutrition and, and diet advice because it was seen to be uh, very dangerous and they weren't qualified. Um, so, yeah, just uh, yeah, uh, just check who you're getting that information from.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Your hometown again,
1: but, but <laughs> yeah, not for getting... a good reason this time. No, not for a good reason. I know, and I dropped them in there. Um, but just to show I'm not too biased. <laughs> so um, so first off, uh, I guess, um, do you see this issue often um, in terms of, you know, individuals and athletes striving to, to lose, um, you know, weight or body fat while they're also trying to, um, you know, keep up their training, whether it be mileage and also actually their training quality?
0: All the time. Uh, I think, as I said in the intro, this is probably the single yeah. most common question I get um, in private practice from clients that are that are coming to see me. Um, whether it's in running, cycling, or triathlon, I think all three, um, you get this very, very commonly, um, and this this struggle of how to balance these two goals, which most you know to most people are seemingly in conflict with each other. You know, fueling mm-hmm. my training adequately, but then you know. Um, Promoting, you know, body fat loss at the same time. Uh, I'm guessing you'd be in a similar boat, Steph. You see this quite a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, where people, um, yeah, do say that. Like, and they say, oh, you know, like I, I, um, I can get to a point where, like, I'm I'm losing, you know, body fat or, um, you know, achieving weight loss, but um, I can't stick with it because my training's just being sacrificed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yep. exactly
0: right. And so people think it's a choice, like you have to do one or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yep, yep. Um, and um, so why would this actually be an issue?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, you know, it depends on sort of what sort of athlete you are and, and what level uh, of, of sport you're doing. You know, you're doing this for, um, you know, a, a bit of a personal goal and a challenge versus someone who's trying to, you know, win Major championships or, or something like that. Obviously, the goals will be behind it. Might be slightly different um, mm-hmm. for some people. It's sort of a, a way to just improve their general health and, and quality of life. And you know, the the half marathon or the the Olympic distance triathlon or whatever it is that they're training for is just you know sort of the motivation, I guess, or the goal that that sort of motivates them to to go out and train regularly and and that side of things. And they just see that the the body composition side of it comes along as part of the, the personal journey, I suppose. Whereas, you know, for other people, it, it's a genuine performance thing. You know, if you're a, a climbing cyclist, um, you know, you go watch any of the major tours, you know, if you want to go fast uphill, you need to be light. Um, now, obviously that comes with with downsides uh, and potential health implications, which we've spoken about before. Um, so yeah, that, that's obviously an issue to consider. But obviously, it's going to be something that those athletes are thinking about and certainly interested in. Um, And as we heard uh, from Izzy Bat Doyle in episode twenty-three B, around does leaner equal faster? It's not necessarily the case in all sports. You know, if you're running around an athletics track, which is a flat surface, um, power—you know—the body weight per se is not necessarily going to. Improved performance being lighter. Um, and, you know, she talked about the fact that her best performances were actually at a weight that was quote unquote heavier than what her um, preconceived ideal sort of race weight was. Uh, whereas for cyclists, um, generally they're going to have to be quite lean to be successful uphill when you're climbing up, you know, a, a giant mountain in Europe somewhere like that. Um, but yeah, I guess it, that is kind of the first question that we need to ask here is, you know, do you actually need to lose weight in the first place, either for health or performance reasons? So um, without sort of rehashing all of that, I'd probably recommend people go back and listen to episode 23A, Does Lena Equal Faster with Associate Professor Gary Slater? And obviously Izzy did the the follow-up to that from an athlete's perspective. Uh, And then I guess the, the flip side to that in terms of training quality and adequately fueling training, we had episode 24A, Can I Underfuel My Training with Margot Rogers? Um, where she talked about I guess some of those negative consequences of chronically underfueling your training which is sort of what you were getting at before Steph when people are um, you know trying to lose weight um, lose body fat they're sort of underfueling their training thinking that that's what they need to do and then they're running into trouble because
1: of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah and um, unfortunately our um as athletes, and I think just individuals, we're not always the most patient. Um, and we do often want <clears throat> some quick fixes or, or magic. Um, and um, yeah, so that can often yeah get us into into trouble if we don't strategize things correctly.
0: Mm, absolutely. Who doesn't mm. want some magic?
1: Mm. <laughs> um, so are there certain types of athletes where this is perhaps more common? So um, like is there sort of like a, a type of athlete or particular type of sport where where this is more common? Um,
0: I don't think so, to be honest. I mean, I've, I've probably, and, and you're probably the same, Steph, seen it across the board, across mm. both recreational and elite athletes, uh, running, cycling and triathlon and across all the different, I guess, subcategories or disciplines within those sports in terms of, mm. you know, sort of sprint distance versus Ironman triathlon, for example, or um, You know, middle distance versus ultra distance runners, for example. Um, You know, I think everyone is very conscious of body composition, rightly or Mm -hmm. wrongly. Um, Mm -hmm. And in some cases, it probably doesn't make a difference, as we mentioned before. And in some cases, it probably will make a difference. Uh, And in some cases, it's it's more about um, people looking at the health aspect of it rather than the performance aspect necessarily, which probably lends more towards the recreational athletes. Um, but, yeah, I, I've certainly seen it across that whole gamut. And you probably have as well.
1: Yeah. yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, and what do you see most people doing? So I know I often see individuals, um, yeah, like I said, going for that sort of quicker fix or just, you know, they may not um, be that knowledgeable in the area and they, um, you know, kind of, see and read in the media that all they need to do is you know cut down um energy intake and calories um but they don't actually think about what the energy output is on the different days Mm. uh and then yeah that's when they're you know saying that they're they're run down so um yeah what do you see most people doing
0: Yeah, sort of a little bit like what you just described. I think uh, there's a few camps. I do see some people sort of bouncing back and forward between those two extremes. So Mm -hmm. they'll go through a period where they're trying to consciously eat less uh, to to get that body fat happening and and that's okay for the first week or two, but as their training load builds or just the accumulate, like that deficit's been there for a period of time and that builds, Mm -hmm. um, then they start to run into trouble and they really struggle Mm to... you know perform in training or recover from training yes. um, yep. some people go more for i guess saying well carbs are a fair percentage of my total energy my total kilojoules mm-hmm. or calories so i'll just cut carbs mm. uh, and probably run into trouble even quicker because of it yep. um, particularly if they do sort of higher intensity training um and then, as I said, they bounce to that other extreme. So they then go and go, "Oh, well, I actually, really needed those carbs. I, re- I realized now that that's important for training. So I'm going to put those back in." And all of a sudden, they're not then meeting the body composition goals they had for themselves, and and so they're yeah. getting frustrated because of that. Um, so yeah, I often see that you know the bouncing between those two extremes um, quite a bit.
1: Yeah, and I think like I see um, often, you know, uh, athletes and individuals often can just eat sort of very similar each day and they they don't really you know as we know periodize their nutrition um, and so then when they are looking for that um, weight loss <clears throat> they just slap that on to every day um, yeah. but then the other thing they also do is um, then if they think they need you know weight loss then they'll they um, will just go on maybe a good old Google or go on and um, follow diet plans. Like, so like they'll go and follow a 1500 calorie um, diet plan. Um, And yeah, like you said, they may find that they're successful for that um, in perhaps the short term, Um, but then it'll either be influencing performance or health and or what they can then eventually find is that they then really struggle to lose any further weight mm. um, perhaps because they've actually reduced their energy um, intake um, too much um, to below what their basic metabolism um, needs uh, and then their body's kind of in that starvation mode and, and energy efficient mode and then, you know, they're really struggling. So mm. that, that's super common.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yep.
1: Yep. Um, so what happens uh, if, yeah, if you don't get that balance quite right in terms of, you know, energy intake versus um, output?
0: Yeah, I mean, probably just as we described, I think, um, mm. you know, a, a lot of frustration for people. Um, I guess that's the inconvenient part of it. But then, as you said, there's, the, you know, the potential health and performance consequences on the underfueling side, uh, and the potential for either, you know, not meeting your goals and getting frustrated on the, you know, aggressively fueling side, uh, mm-hmm. or in some cases even some weight or body fat gain um, that that's kind of unexpected um, or, or mm-hmm. unwanted. Um, so yeah, that, that's probably where you see either either side of that spectrum.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So then, if we look and, and ask the question, well, then, how do I play well, achieve this? How do I, um, you know, achieve both goals with making sure my training quality is not suffering, but I can still, you know, achieve the body composition or weight loss goals that I have? Um, how do you suggest uh, athletes and individuals go approach this issue?
0: Mm. Well, kind of as you alluded to before, Steph, um, you know, for most people in these sports, you know, you're not going to have the same training load every single day of the week. You know, you're going to have, uh, like, particularly if you're a runner, you're going to have days where you're probably not exercising at all, or just going for a walk, or something like complete rest days. Maybe in cycling or triathlon, it's going to be easy days, but in in running, complete rest days, and then you're going to have other days which are multiple hours of exercise, often with intervals and some intensity thrown in there at some stage as well. So um, Mm -hmm. you've got massive variation, big peaks and troughs in your, your training load over a week. But most people, when you talk to them about what they're eating, they're eating more or less the same every day of the week. So you've got these big peaks and troughs in training, but no peaks and troughs or very little peaks and troughs in their nutrition. And so there's no sort of... Uh, matching i guess if you like matching then what you're eating to the training plan and having the train you know the, the nutrition complement the training plan uh, and that's that periodization that you just mentioned before and so for me that's the, that's the biggest issue and i think some people most people are kind of um, at least subconsciously making little adjustments in these kind of areas like yeah. you know tomorrow's a big ride so i'm going to eat a little bit more for dinner tonight but it's just nowhere near enough to achieve what they need to do So, we talked back in uh, way back in episode 2A of the podcast to Dr. Sam Impey, um, who did his work in um, fueling for the work required and talking about how do I eat, leading into those sort of big, long, training sessions uh, both before and and during the training session Um, and obviously you know his research looked at that through more of a lens of adaptation so what happens in the body in the hours after training how does it respond to that and how you adjust the fueling going in can change how your body responds in the hours and days afterwards but what we're talking about here is simple um, you know energy in the out management um, and how that can be mismatched because you're eating more or less the same each day but your training's going up and down wildly. So mm-hmm. being able to use those two to complement each other is how we can bring the two together and actually make it work and then using some mathematics, which we can explain in a second, um, that's how you can make it work for you and have these two seemingly conflicting goals actually occurring at the same time.
1: Yeah, yep. And so, I guess, can you go into then that periodized nutrition and explain that concept a bit a bit further?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, periodized training plans. Um, I mean, the term periodized just talks about the fact that it's adjusted over time. You know, you don't go out and do exactly the same training sessions every day of the week, every week of the year. And so, you know, you have periodization at that kind of macro level, like what's changing over the whole course of a year there's obviously times where you're having recovery and time off there's times where you're training intensely times where you're tapering into you know key races or, or competitions and or things like that um, and then you have sort of your micro periodization in terms of like what does a, a single training week look like uh, and most people could probably describe what their this is their normal training week looks like you know Mondays I do this in the morning and Tuesdays it's this in the afternoon and Wednesdays a rest day and Thursdays this and I have my big session on Saturdays or whatever it is like it's going to be different for different people and not everyone necessarily follows a seven-day format for that um, so it's not perfectly aligned with a week although most people do because they've got to fit it around work and kids yes. and family life and all those other things that fit a seven-day timetable. Um, Mm -hmm. So most training plans do the same just to fit the rest of their life. Um, So from a nutrition point of view, I guess it's having an idea ahead of time what that training is going to look like and then working out how you can match your nutrition to that. So there's different ways you can kind of do this um, and maybe I'll, I'll sort of describe how I sort of conceptualise it with clients and maybe you can talk about how you do it as well, Steph, and I'm sure there'll be slight differences because there's no one way to do it, um, although Mm -hmm. the basic concept will be the same. Um, So I guess the way I like to think about it, um, I guess it depends on how deep you want to go in it. If you really want to go into the nuts and bolts of it, you can kind of start off with, okay, well, you know, roughly to achieve the body composition goal I need, this is roughly how much energy I need to be eating. You know, on per day on average over weeks or months because you're not trying to change body fat in two or three days, you're trying to change it in two or three months in most cases. Uh, And so that, you know, that figure is whatever it is, depends on you and your training schedule and what your current body composition is. So I'm not going to preempt and put a a figure out there now because it's going to be different for each person. Um, But whatever that number is, you know, I can kind of think of that almost like as a box, if you like. Uh, And then within that box has to fit what we call the macronutrients, which are the nutrients that we get from food that give us or can be turned into energy. So that's going to be the fat, the protein, the carbohydrate, and if relevant, alcohol. So they've all got to fit within that box, which is that the size of the box is dictated by the total amount of energy, the kilojoules or the calories. And so uh, we talked about protein in a previous episode with um, Professor Dan Moore, um, and I haven't got the number here off the top of my head. I don't know if you can remember it, Steph. But, you know, we talked about the recommendations there for protein, so I won't go into detail about that here. But, you know, protein needs are fairly constant from day to day because we're constantly recovering from the previous session. You know, that process goes on for two, three days, by which case you're usually into your next session anyway. So, um, yeah, so the protein I sort of put in the box first and it's going to take up a certain amount of space. And so whatever space you've got left in the box is what you can fit protein, uh, sorry, fat, carbohydrate and alcohol within. Um, I might think about something like alcohol next and just have that conversation with an athlete and it might be that they're happy to reduce their alcohol consumption they may not have any alcohol consumption so that's easy there's nothing to put in the box Uh, or it might be that um, they're going to continue with what they're doing and we're just going to accommodate around that and that's fine we can do that within reason so that goes in the box and so you've again taken up some more space so now you've got fat and carbohydrate left I guess the way I would tend to conceptualize fat is that you know you need a minimum amount of fat a day just for general health. But you know probably it's gonna be a minimum of about forty to fifty grams a day. Um, life's gonna be pretty boring and your food's gonna be pretty bland if it's anything lower than that. Um, but if it's over, you know, 150 grams a day, you've probably got scope to, to look at that and see whether that can be reduced because it's not going to have an effect on training in the way that carbohydrate reduction or restriction will. So anyway, fat can go in the box. And so whatever space is left over is really what you can afford to fill with carbohydrate. And so you know, if you look at the the whole week of your training cycle, you've got a certain amount of carbohydrate that you can afford to eat. But you can be strategic with how you use that carbohydrate. You don't have to eat exactly the same amount of carbs every single day um, or always have the most at breakfast or dinner or you know, whatever it is for that person. Um, so this is when you use that fuel for the work required principle that we talked about with Sam, but you're using it, to manage the amount of carbs you can fit in the box. Um, And obviously the smaller that space is for carbs, the more aggressively you sort of have to stack your carbs around those key training sessions in the week. Uh, And the bigger the space for carbs, the less important that becomes Um, because you've got, you know, you're not limited, I guess, in terms of how much carbohydrate you can fit in that space. Um, And so, yeah, I tend to think about the sort of the two or three meals or snacks leading into those key sessions and obviously during them as well. Um, And then, you know, increasing those at the times leading into those key training sessions where it's either a really big session or the quality is really important uh, and then reducing it down at times when obviously it's a rest day or you know it's a, it's an easy sort of recovery session or you know you're focusing on technique or something like that and so you know the ability to put out a lot of watts or um, whatever measure you want to use is, is far less important in those scenarios. Yeah
1: um, yeah spot on like I do very, very much the same in terms of that as well. Um, uh, Just uh, 19A was um, the bid on protein with Professor Dan Moore. I I don't remember things so quickly, so I was able to do a quick (laughs) search there. Um, But, yeah, um, and, you know, this approach uh, that we're just talking about here is um, obviously looking at individuals that are um, not on a high-fat diet as well. Um, Mm. So, you know, there's obviously a different angle for that um if if people are going via that method um but yeah definitely just uh yeah estimating uh approximate energy um needs uh on a day-to-day you know depending on what their training load is um and then um yeah considering what sort of body comp goals we have um, and then, uh, you know, taking away a particular factor for that in terms of the energy equation and then, um, and then, yeah, thinking about, well, what sort of macro goals do we have for those particular um, days um, of sessions um, and then um, putting that into carbs, proteins and fats and mm. um, putting that into food terms. So exactly um, very similar.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, the important thing in that concept is the fact that the box is sort of a box for the entire week, not a box for each individual day. Mm. So that's important because it means that the amount of carbs that you eat and therefore the amount of total energy, the calories or the kilojoules you eat on a per day basis doesn't have to be the same every day of the week. Yeah, um, But it needs to fit within that overall amount. So the average per day over the whole week yeah. is where it needs to be. Uh, yeah. in terms of meeting that body composition goal but on each individual day it doesn't have to hit that so some days will be well above it some days well below yep. um, but as long as the average when you average that all out across the week hits what you're trying to achieve mm. um there then then you're fine yep. and um yeah and i think like when you explain that to people that you know you can eat more on certain days particularly in terms of carbohydrate leading into key sessions and then cut it back on you know leading into a rest day or recovery day Mm. it's like a light bulb moment it's like oh why didn't like it's so obvious when you explain it but it's not something that people sort of naturally think of usually Mm. i find Um, Mm, i I don't know if if you're the same steph it's like it's just like you flick the switch and they're like oh I had no idea. Of course, that just makes yeah. so much sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think um, like some people can find that tricky uh, mm. as well, like because um, then they kind of get used to like you know eating the the same, or like you know if you have a real heavy day, some people kind of may enjoy eating that volume of food and then when they have this like lighter day they're like oh damn like I don't get to eat as much and and it's kind of you know it's something that they need to change um but Mm. then uh, you know a way that we try and make that a bit easier for individuals is to surround the extra nutrition that we may put in for the the heavier days um around sessions so then it's not as kind of um uh doesn't seem like it's making such a big change to the person because maybe they're not training on the tuesday um so it's a bit easier to implement
0: yeah and the other thing that i guess a lot of people find initially when they're trying to get their head around the concept is you know am i going to be really hungry on those easy Mm. days and -hmm. that can certainly be an issue Mm -hmm. but that's where you can say okay well let's for example say i've got uh for dinner i've got You know some sort of meat or chicken or something and then some rice and some veggies well going into a big day that might be a big serving of rice and maybe less veggies just because it's too filling Mm. but then on the the opposite day so say tonight for dinner um you know tomorrow's a rest day or an easy day so i don't need that big serving of rice leading into that session so i might just have meat and veggies or meat and you know some potato or a little bit of rice but just nowhere near as much but so my plate isn't you know half the quantity of food. I can increase the veggies significantly mm. um, because that's going to bulk up the meal, but it's not going to add significantly in terms of carbohydrate and, and therefore total energy. So you know by manipulating the veggies up and down and and the, kind of the fiber intake up and down, um, or deliberately choosing sort of more higher fiber options like brown rice or your wholemeal mm. pasta or, or something like that. Um, on those days. Whereas if you need to get that big serving of carbohydrate in, we talked about this um, back in episode 9B with Karen Hill around carbohydrate loading. Now, obviously, this isn't necessarily that extreme, but you know, when you need the bigger servings of carbohydrate, maybe that's when you go for a lower fiber version of that, you know, more white rice or something like that, rather than your brown rice or your potato or something that's going to be more filling for the same amount of carbs.
1: Yeah, yep. And we can all do with more veggies too, our.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so that, you know, it's one thing actually when um, often when I'm working with athletes and, and setting this up with them, um, is, uh, you know, they, they might come back in three or four weeks and I'm chatting to them about, you know, how'd you find it? Uh, And often they'll say, well, yeah, I've got a lot more energy and training because, you know, of course they do. They've got a lot more carbs sort of fueling those Mm -hmm. sessions. But at the same time, they're like, and I'm eating so much more veggies than I used to as well Mm -hmm. because they're loading up on those on the other days so they don't get hungry. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of a win-win from that perspective. Yeah. Mm Yeah. So the other thing I was just going to add, Steph, just from something you were saying before is that I think one of the other mistakes that people sort of make um, is that often they go out and do a really big session, let's say Saturday morning, and so they go, oh, I did a big session, so I need to eat heaps of carbs. So they spend the rest of Saturday eating, eating, you know, the, the pantry out in terms of carbohydrate. Um, but it's like, well, you've, you've already done the work. You can't feel for it now. You can't go mm. back in time and feel for it. Um, I think the way I describe it to some clients is like, you know, if you're going to Adelaide, it's like jumping in the car and driving to Adelaide, then getting there and, and saying, okay, it's time to pack for my trip now. It's kind of what. It's a bit late. Yep. Um, and there might be reasons why you want to load up on cards after a session it's usually because yeah. you've got another big session another. coming up within a short period of time yeah but again that's then fueling for the next session not mm-hmm. replacing from what you have you've done mm-hmm. um, so yes yeah, thinking about having the fuel in your body for the session that you need to do rather than replacing what you've lost after you've already done it
1: yeah yep yep definitely so if you're giving an, an example, let's say I am a runner um, and I have a, um, Monday is like a easy morning run session, like 45 minutes easy jog. And then Tuesday morning, I've got a speed um, fartlek session. Um, how would you, you know, and I know there's a number of approaches, how do you think um, I would go about eating around that?
0: Mm. so obviously you know mondays mornings run sessions an easy recovery run so mm-hmm. really whether you have you know eat carbohydrate carbohydrate containing foods going into that session or not is going to make zero difference to how mm-hmm. you actually do that run so yep. um, i mean if you're going to be really hungry and you want to have breakfast by all means have breakfast but mm-hmm. um, don't feel that you have to so if you want to go into that session having eaten nothing then that's probably fine yep. um, and then have breakfast afterwards Uh, but then thinking about Tuesday that session assuming it's a big one in terms of volume as well as you know the fact that it's got intensity um, so I'm thinking okay well I need to be well fueled for that Tuesday session otherwise I'm not going to complete the session as programmed Mm -hmm. Um, so then I'd be thinking okay well Tuesday maybe that afternoon snack time Tuesday I'm thinking more carbs there.
1: Monday Tuesday. afternoon. You know. Oh, sorry, Monday afternoon. Yep.
0: yep. Um, and then Monday dinner as well. So I'm having that bigger serving of you know, pasta, oh. rice, whatever it is with my dinner, yep. um, however you prefer to get your carbs mm. there leading into that session. And then depending, mm. obviously, what time it is in the morning uh, and whether you tolerate it from a gut perspective, it's mm. whether you include some carbohydrate you know, just before you go. Um, and, you know, again, depending on tolerance and how much time and the convenience you need, whether that's just something simple like a liquid form of carbohydrate mm-hmm. or whether it's like a full breakfast will depend on the individual and mm-hmm. um, the, the details around that training.
1: Yep, yeah, yep. And if I don't have then another, um, you know, hard session um, until uh, Thursday, um and then like Wednesday is just kind of like an easy um run um then depending on what my my goals are right um then that will influence what I eat after
0: yeah yeah exactly so you know going back to that box analogy if the box is relatively small and the space that we've got for carbohydrate is relatively small this is a chance Mm -hmm. where again the carbohydrates not really going to make any difference for the Mm -hmm. rest of Tuesday afternoon and and probably Mm -hmm. even Wednesday morning Mm -hmm. um so we can reduce the quantities of those things and bulk it up with more veggies and things um, yep. to, to reduce down the total energy that I've eaten and and therefore the carbs and then we can help fit that in the box by reducing it at that time where it's not important yep. but still having it there, you know, Monday night when it is important.
1: Yeah, yep, yep, perfect. Um, okay, and um, so... Then when people do actually, you know, start to implement this advice, so say they've come to see you and they start to change what they have been doing and they are periodising their nutrition, um, how do they go once they, they try it? What's the kind of, yeah, responses and reactions?
0: Hmm. Um, I think overwhelmingly positive. Uh, yep. I think most people. It only takes them a week or two to sort of get into that routine, and then and get the concept. Um, obviously, there might be some logistical hurdles that they have to cross. You know, if they're eating with their families, it might be, you know, we've always had pasta night on this night of the week, or mm. all of a sudden that doesn't make sense because tomorrow is an easy day. We yeah. don't need pasta night this tonight. So there's some of that logistical stuff in terms of rearranging. Um, how we eat across the week that's not mm. necessarily like if you're living at home by yourself that's really easy but if mm. you've got a family and things there might be a bit more organization to do
1: mm-hmm.
0: um but yeah i I, th- I think you know once you um like i write it out like in a, in a day with you know decisions like if it's this session do this if it's gonna be this kind of session do that if there's no session do this um and, and most people can throw that that PDF out within a week or two because once you've understood the concept, mm. it's really easy to manipulate and all you really need to know from a training perspective is what you're doing in the next 12 to 24 hours ahead. Uh, that's as far as ahead as you need to know from a planning perspective. Yep. Um, so, from yeah, from, from that perspective, I find people, once they get that concept, and that usually doesn't take long, only a week or two, um, they find it pretty easy to kind of manage themselves and it's not like you have to follow a plan, quote, unquote, to be able mm. to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. You can just use that basic concept without having to count calories or do any of those kind of Mm -hmm. things. And, you know, some people might just do that if they're getting off track a little bit, it kind of gives them a reference point to come back to. Mm -hmm. Um, But the aim is for them to not have to think too much about it and be too obsessive about it, but just simply use that concept of adjusting carbs up and down according to your training schedule to Mm -hmm. kind of balance those two goals that we mentioned at the start. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep, yep. And um, what about if uh, things aren't going to plan?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, there can be different reasons for that. Um, And I guess it's a bit of, you know, when we're working with individuals, it's unpacking, you know, what is those reasons and and where we go from there. Um, I I think there can be different reasons. One could be... um, that they're struggling logistically to change what they're eating from day to day because of other circumstances, as I said before, you know, family or work commitments or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's obviously, you know, needs some practical kind of troubleshooting and and problem solving. Um, In some cases, it might simply be that, you know, we thought the box needed to be this big that all of those nutrients fit into and it actually turns out that the box was too big or too small or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so actually, you know, we need to make the box a bit smaller because body composition is not heading the way they wanted it to be or they're struggling in training so maybe the box was too small Mm -hmm. um and you know that's that's not easy to get right straight away that can sometimes take a bit of juggling you know it's nice when you do get it right straight away but it doesn't always happen and and you're probably the same stuff it does require a bit of adjustment at times because you know you thought it was going to take this but actually it took that
1: yeah. Yep. Exactly. And that's where like feedback from um, people and individuals is is really important. Um, mm. And you know, sometimes people with anything, um, whether it be I don't know, training or they've got something new, they they try it out and it doesn't work, and then they kind of just give up on it. Um, mm. Whereas you know, if they just followed that up and found out a little bit more about it or how they needed to tweak something. Um, then yeah, it's, it, then they're just individualizing it a bit more, and then you know they'll eventually get to that um, uh, pathway that they're they're wanting to go towards.
0: Mm, mm. But I, I mean, I've certainly heard plenty of clients that have sort of come back with like this is almost like the promised land. All of a sudden, you know, I'm training really well, and I'm actually hitting yeah. my body composition goal simultaneously. Like yeah. I never thought it was possible, kind of thing. And yeah. I'm sure you've probably heard the same.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah and so then talking about that how long do you tend to find it takes to um, in terms of seeing results um, in terms of the you know the, the training and the body comp
0: mm. uh, look i think if they were generally healthy and training and you know reasonably well going yeah at the start of that process you know you probably see see changes within 2 3 weeks mm. um that said, I mean, if you've got someone who's been in a hole of fatigue for a long time because they've mm. been, you know, chronically underfueling, mm. then you've got a relative energy deficiency kind of issue and that's yeah. going to take much longer, longer. potentially to um, to get out of. But, I mean, we heard from from Sophie Mackay back in, I think it was episode 24C, um, Can I Underfuel My Training?, where she talked about, you know, eating more uh, and that was able to help improve things. You know, she saw an improvement within about three weeks from having, you know fatigue and really struggling on the bike for I think a year from memory yep. um, so yeah I mean, it varies from person to person you know if yeah. you've got um, you know amenorrhea or um, some of those sort of more significant health consequences then it's going to take obviously quite a bit more time to to see improvements but um, yeah. if, if you're generally healthy beforehand yeah, it's pretty quick
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. I see that for sure. And um, yeah, if they have gotten themselves into trouble with that energy availability, or overtraining, it for sure can take like much, much longer. Mm. Um, so, um, is there a better time where these weight loss or body composition changes should be looked at? So, for example, should an athlete be trying to achieve a certain body composition all year round?
0: No, <laughs> definitely <laughs> not. Um, I can't remember if we talked about this with Gary in, in that podcast of you know, just leaner, equal, faster. Yeah, yep. um, you, know, you don't have to be at quote-unquote race weight all mm. year round because mm. you know, important, important races for the year are not all year round. Um, and so particularly if that's taking quite a lot of conscious effort to get there, um, both physical and mental um, then it's it's just not worth it mm-hmm. uh, and it's not worth you know potentially compromising your health in the process so um, yeah it, it's really the, the thing that you might do you know in the lead in, lead into you know key competition time of the year um, you obviously don't want to do this during the taper because then your box is really small um, and it's got a short time frame to do it um, but yeah you, you certainly you're not aiming to be at the same body composition all year round um, if you are, Deliberately trying to reduce body fat for performance, for example. Um, I guess the, the the difference to that might be someone who's, say, more a recreational athlete um, carrying significant amount of body fat, and the body mm-hmm. fat reduction is more for for health rather yeah, than reasons. performance reasons. Then, then the timing is probably less important. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, and there's a really good um, case study on this hour to someone that we are super excited. We're going to be talking to coming up, not on this particular topic, um, but yeah, that's a, a case study by Trent Stellingworth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So he, his wife Hillary, was a 1500 meter runner, uh, competed at the London Olympics and I think Rio as well. Steph, mm-hmm. you probably know better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember, but. Um, yeah, so Trent's a, a sports scientist um, and a researcher and he actually tracked, and a coach, I should say. Um, so he actually tracked Hillary's skin folds um, over, I think, eight or ten years
1: of mm, yeah. competitive yep. running
0: at you know, Olympic level um, and basically showed how the fact that she never stayed at the same body composition all year round, um, like her body fat would always go up at certain times of the year and then come down into the peak competition phase and then go up again afterwards. And it's a really, you know, he's grafted it over eight or 10 years. And there's even a period in there where she had maternity leave, um, where obviously things, you know, completely changed, uh, which is fair enough. And yeah, you can, but you can really see the the periodization and the fact that she does it year on year. He's able to sort of manipulate that body comp within, you know, a, a healthy range. She never experienced amenorrhea or any of those relative energy deficiency symptoms because she did it sensibly
1: Um,
0: and the the other thing that was interesting in that is that each year she got a little bit leaner
1: like the overall
0: trend was down over the the eight years or so so again she wasn't trying to hit that rock bottom on year one it was something that she worked at over several years.
1: And her performance was was good throughout that period mm. as well. So yeah, yep. um, yeah. Two thousand and twelve was was London. She came fourteenth in fifteen hundred, and then yeah, two thousand and sixteen in Rio, she um, came thirty first. Um, yep. but yeah, um, solid performances for a very long period mm. of time. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, um, I I reckon we've hopefully covered um or help answer some of those um questions um in terms of how yeah how should i go about or consider uh achieving achieving this in terms of if i am looking at body composition changes but i want to keep up my my training quality um i think that there's some really good advice there and practical um examples
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and as we said, you know, the size of that box and how all those bits are going to fit into it is going to be very individual, depending on the person, your current body comp, um, probably genetics to an extent, mm. um, lifestyle factors, and of course, your training schedule. So, um, I, you know, we can't really give you any numbers here because it's going to be different from person to person. And that's where getting some individualized advice from a professional is going to be helpful. Um, obviously, you can but, you know by all means tinker with that yourself and that concept mm-hmm. um but if you you're finding it's not getting you where you want to go mm. then that's where I'd, I'd suggest getting reaching out and getting some professional advice
1: yeah and i think also just um be patient with things as well like patience mm. will pay off yeah yep um awesome now our um, I know we've done a bonus round for you already, but I thought I'd whack in another five because I think it's good <laughs> for our um, listeners to, to get to know you and, and I can always find out a little bit more. Um, so uh, five quick questions for you. Um, so apart from myself, who has been someone you have admired in nutrition for their work and why?
0: Oh, that's a good question. And without notice, i am got to think about this. <laughs> oh, look, I think there's a couple. Uh, mm-hmm. I think certainly Aske Jerkendrup,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, who's obviously, you know, as the name suggests, he's Dutch, but he lives in the UK. Um, done some really great work, uh, particularly, I guess, early on in my career, probably in the mm-hmm. mid 2000s, he was doing some really interesting work in, in carbohydrate and carbohydrate during exercise in particular. And mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff that he did then was really the stuff that sort of got me excited in endurance and ultra endurance sports nutrition, because that wasn't my background in terms of sport as a kid, Uh, was not in, you know, running cycling or triathlon, Um, but a combination of seeing, you know, quite a few sort of runners and triathletes uh, as I was just starting to work in sports nutrition, along with the work that that Asker and, and you know, his colleagues were publishing at that time is sort of I guess what really got me excited both about the sport but also about the science of nutrition for those sports mm-hmm. um, and really probably shaped where my career's ended up so I'll probably say Asker for that reason.
1: Yep. Yeah good one um, and um, what what actually got you into sports nutrition?
0: Oh good question um <laughs> Yeah, it's probably multi-parted. Uh, so my background actually was in sailing as a mm-hmm. teenager, uh, cross-country skiing originally, and then sailing. Um, and so as I was sort of going through, you know, the various development programs um, and sort of you know competing at national level in sailing, uh, you get exposed to more of the sort of sports science, sports medicine side of things. So um, and had a couple of, um, sort of injuries weren't necessarily related to sailing, but a couple of other injuries and, and got a bit of physio at the time. And so I actually thought I wanted to do physio. I mm-hmm. uh, had a little bit of nutrition um, exposure just through, through sailing development teams and things like that. Um, and then went to a careers day put on by Sports Medicine Australia, where they had all the different disciplines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went there really. To, to hear the physio talk and then heard the dietitian talk. I thought, oh, that, that sounds really interesting. So had a look into that and put those down. My Physio was my first preference and nutrition was my second preference and didn't get into physio and now mm. I got into nutrition and um, my wife's actually a physio and now I actually know what physios do. I'm <laughs> bloody glad I got into nutrition, to be honest.
1: <laughs> That's surprising that um, physio what had a higher score that year. Yeah. 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 Yep, yep. Um, well, they missed out. So, mm. what is your favourite sport and why?
0: Whew. To to uh, to participate in or to spectate?
1: To number one, participate in.
0: Participate uh, these days, mountain biking. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know sailing and windsurfing—that's obviously my background. Although well, mm. I haven't really done that much for for years now. Um, so more recently, it's probably been more mountain biking. Uh, and even with kids, that's become uh, less common. Although as they're getting older, starting to get them involved in it a little bit. So hopefully, when they're sort of in their teenage years and get back to doing a bit more serious mountain biking, would be fun. Mm.
1: And spectating. <sighs>
0: Whew. Well, the, the ashes just wrapped up in terms of cricket. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could say that. I mean, obviously, you know, growing up in Australia it was kind of AFL football and cricket uh, were, were big. Um, but, you know, I enjoy watching pro cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not quite as much in recent years because it's obviously it's a pretty time-consuming watch so you're mm-hmm. going to spend a bit more time there. Uh, yeah. and time's been a bit, a bit shorter recently. Um, so they'd probably be the main ones from a, a spectating point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: And favourite... Um post-hard mountain bike recovery nutrition snack or beverage?
0: Flavoured milk, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I
1: thought you were going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Easy. Yeah. Easy, And k- easy. something you still want to research in sports nutrition and why?
0: That's uh, well, probably what I'm working on at the moment, actually, which is to try and fill the gap in terms of requirements for sodium intake during exercise. Um, so if we look into you know your kind of your sports nutrition guidelines there's heaps of information and numbers around carbohydrate needs protein needs etc and then you get to the sodium bit and there's these mm-hmm. kind of vague statements there and and you know it's not criticizing the people who wrote the statements there's just a lack mm-hmm. of research to to put some numbers to that so um, that's what I'm working on at the moment um, and to be honest I haven't really thought much further than that I sort of went into my PhD looking at sodium you know what's that six years ago now and um yeah, sort of wanted to answer some key questions in that and sort of keep going in that area until I had all the answers. And, you know, I think I'm starting to fill in quite a few of the gaps and um, a couple more to go, which um, excitingly I'm sort of working on at the moment, which is nice.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, see, so I learned a little bit more about you Um, Mm. and um, I'm sure it's very interesting to the listeners too um so wrapping up this um question we're going to uh then next episode go in and chat to a athlete um so who's the athlete that we're lucky enough to um chat to
0: yeah, so next week obviously be episode 29B, uh, and our guest will be um, well, he's kind of former, he's, he's sort of retired from cycling now, apart from doing a little bit of stuff um, helping out with paracycling, which we'll hear about um, Neil Vanderploek. So, some people might know Neil, he's been you know, a regular within the Australian domestic cycling scene over you know, probably a decade now, uh, and I was very lucky to work with Neil. Um, Back when I was working with the search to retain cycling team, which he was at for, for a few years there, um, and and the approach that we described today is something that we actually implemented with Neil. Um, that the first year I started working with him in the lead up to the national championships, and um, oh, I'll let Neil explain the story in terms of what happened and and what the outcome was. But um, yeah, no, it was. Really, really fun to work with and he's, he's been a, a podcast host himself and a really great guy. So, yeah, looking forward to having a chat with Neil because I haven't spoken to him for quite a number of years now. So looking forward to catching up.
1: Awesome. Looking forward to it. Um, so, yeah, for our listeners, if they've got any questions um, or comments, please uh, contact us via our social media at the Long Munch Facebook, Instagram or Twitter accounts. Um, yeah, shoot through some some questions we'd love to answer, um, but we do have some really exciting topics coming up ahead, uh, and we will leave you all in peace for now.
0: We'll do. See you next week.
1: See ya.